Do you find yourself always taking the blame for everything? I mean, not so much in the sense that your spouse won't accept any, but that you just find out that you blame yourself for everything. Even your spouse thinks you take too much responsibility for things. Today's episode is for you, my friend. Welcome to the Only You Forever podcast. If you want to build a thriving, passionate marriage, we've got the research, the truth, and the answers you've been looking for. And now, here are your hosts, Caleb and Verlinda Simone Gendel. Hey, everybody, this is episode number 50. Woohoo! And we are going to be talking about the blame in marriage. Oh. So, that was your fault, by the way. So this is going <laughs> to, yeah, sure. it's going to build on episode 49 where we discuss differentiation. Uh, that's a oh, good. I remember that. Do you? What's the definition of differentiation, Verlinda? I don't know the exact definition, but it's making yourself vulnerable and pulling close at the same time as you're pushing away. Yeah, it's pretty good. Sort of. It's like simultaneously moving towards and away from. Simultaneously. Yeah. <laughs> Simul- <laughs> we already had that discussion last time, so let's not waste our time. Yes. Because, uh, yeah, you were wrong in that too, from what I recall. All right. No? Yes. Uh, if you find yourself always taking the blame. See, I'm not taking the blame today because that's what this episode is about. But you were wrong. My episode out is to help those poor husbands out there like me <laughs> who find themselves always taking the blame. Oh. Okay. Let's get down to this. Are you good to get down to this or you still want to blame me some more? I'm just waiting for you to go ahead. Okay, I'm going. Yes, dear. If you always find yourself taking the blame and never taking the risk of putting yourself out there and defending your position, you may be challenged with this whole idea of differentiation. Or, you know, if you find yourself never willing to take responsibility, like for Linda, but you just state the facts, (laughs) (laughs) explain everything very rationally. Oh, never mind the Verlinda part. (laughs) (laughs) I'm being hard on you today. And point out logically, (laughs) cough, what is right and what is wrong you'll also be challenged with differentiating. Now, so, so we don't want to create a bunch of fights here, Verlinda, where spouses ne- think they need to stand up for their own rights like you're doing right now, but... Give me a break. What? Like I'm doing right now. Who's the <laughs> one totally standing up for himself? In this moment, what did you just do? I just pointed out where you were at fault. <laughs> All right. Remember, I was just saying we don't want to create a bunch of fights. Right, right. Okay. Well, you created one there. Yeah. Yes, dear. So... It's not about this idea of taking blame, Berlinda, is not about being unwilling to back down at any point in time. But this is more for those folks who find themselves always taking the blame. and Not being blamed for something by their spouse, but no. themselves going, oh, it was my fault. I'm yes. sorry. Yeah. Okay. Or for the folks who are never willing. Like they're so, I have to defend myself so much because I'm so kind of protected. I will or never insecure. take the blame for anything because if I get the slightest idea that my ego is at risk, like it just destroys me. Hmm. Yep. Okay. Ego in the Freudian sense, not in the sense of pride. Okay. So let's talk about what this looks like, why it doesn't work, and then how we can shift out of it as couples, because this can be very hard on a relationship. And uh, we're going to go through it from each perspective, from the self-blamer, the person who takes too much blame, and mm-hmm. from the no-blamer, the person okay. who won't take any blame. Yes. Well, I'm assuming you're going to start with a self-blamer. Because you said that first. And I'm just wondering, like, what about abused women who even when they're past the relationship are going, it was my fault. I shouldn't have made him angry. Yep. Like that's, that's not healthy. No. And that's actually where we're starting because that's the most extreme form of self-blame is where 
is often found in women that have experienced physical violence in mm-hmm. their intimate relationships. And these women, they, re- they report the highest levels of self-blame and with that, the lowest levels of perceived control. So they feel like they can't control things. It's out of control, yeah, yeah. but they're blaming themselves. And they'll just adopt this thing that a phrase this saying, it's all my fault. I'll try to do better next time. Wow. So that's from the, a study from the Journal of Interpersonal Violence in 2000, looked at a lot of women that are experiencing this. Mm-hmm. Now, just linking to that idea and kind of expanding it a little bit, the higher our self-blame is, mm-hmm. blaming ourselves for things or lots yeah. of things, the lower our self-esteem. So that's a correlation okay. from a study by, I think it was a guy called Reek, Reek et al. And that was 2014. And so it's kind of tricky talking to folks about this because if you're listening to this and this is you, you're blaming yourself for being a self-blamer and you're blaming yourself for having low self-esteem. That's what's so hard about this. Oh, kind of stuck. Yeah. But where the recovery starts is when you can stop and say, I deserve to be treated with respect. Yeah. And, you know, women in abused relationships, abusive relationships, and and we're not just focusing on that crowd here because there's a lot of women in healthy relationships that have a problem with self-blame too. Mm -hmm. But women in, in abusive relationships, you know, they're not perfect. But they're, I think it's a universal truth that they deserve to be treated with respect. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And that's about, you know, making a plan if you're not safe and things are not going well, making a plan, executing the plan to take yourself, maybe your kids as well, to a safe place where you will be treated with respect. Okay. Okay. So that's yeah. that. That's but the extreme. That's the extreme. And I'm, you know, I'm not a pro in that whole area, but if someone out there is listening to this, I hope that's some help. I'm today more wanting to focus on the milder forms of this that is more common mm-hmm. and prevalent that maybe we haven't even thought of or acknowledged in our own lives, right? And this this looks like the spouse who's always apologizing, always taking the responsibility for everything that goes wrong. And as I said before, you know, I've seen this in relatively happy marriages. Yeah, right? yeah. We can think of examples of that. And what is not working here is that whole differentiation piece. So what happens is when I'm I'm taking this self-blamer stance is I, I lower my anxiety by accommodating everything. Okay. I make the room within myself to accommodate everything that's not going well. Instead, I should be saying, well, you know what? This is my part here of what went wrong and I own that, but I need you to do this differently. That's to your spouse, right? Okay. That's the differentiation piece where you're moving towards in a way because you're stating what's yours and you're stating what's theirs. Right. And there's some risk involved there. So instead of me just stating my needs and wants and giving you the chance to adjust, I just blame myself for everything. That's what happens in the self-blaming pattern. Because it's, it's safer. It lowers that anxiety. Yeah. You can control yes. all of that. So what, what do you do about this? Well, there's a counseling expression that I love. It's, this is air quotes here, which you can't see on the podcast, but it's slicing it a little thinner. Okay. Slicing it a little thinner. So what happens is you're kind of taking a situation and you're chunking the whole thing onto your plate. And you're saying, I'm to blame This is my slab of meat. And what we need to do is slice this a little thinner and genuinely own what is mine, what is ours, but then put back on the other person or give them back what's theirs in any situation. Mm. Because rarely is it true that in in a situation where a disagreement or a confrontation or something came up, that it's entirely 100 absolute percent one person's fault. Yeah. So you want to slice that a little thinner. And your first step is realizing that your part is accepting that you have accepted the role almost of an abused spouse and then choose to no longer be accepting of that. I'm no longer willing to take the role where I assume the blame for everything. 
So this is even the milder forms of self-blame here. You're not necessarily yeah. talking about an abused spouse. Yeah. Okay. But you have to take that role. Yes. And it's kind of just pausing and stopping yourself from taking the easy way out. Again, it's owning what's truly yours, where you've genuinely misbehaved or misspoken or wronged your spouse, but you're really saying, I'm leaving the rest on the table. So what does that sound like? What does that sound like? What does it look like? Like, how do you actually do that in real life? It, it looks like, yes, I should not have said X, Y, Z. It was wrong for me to do that. And I'm sorry because I know that hurt you. Mm-hmm. And I did it because I was angry. Now, I think my anger was fair because you were not treating me with respect. Okay. Does that make any sense? Yeah. So it's not counter-blaming or counter-attacking, but it's just saying, okay, this is mine. I'm owning that and how that hurt you. Yeah. But this other part here, I'm not taking all the blame for everything. I didn't anymore. actually do the wrong there. Yeah. Okay. And here's the thing that I think, Verlinda, is that I think that the spouse of a self-blamer doesn't actually want the self-blamer to take the blame all the time. Because what happens is nothing ever gets settled that way. You don't work through anything. Yeah, but you know what? I create some distance. I think the first time their self-blame spouse stands up for themselves and says, no, I won't take the blame for that. Like that's going to rock the boat a little. Yeah, yeah, it is. Like I'm thinking here, That's why. if you're the self-blame spouse, don't think that everything's going to be rosy when you you stop taking the, yeah, the minute you you stop taking the blame. So we need to slice that a little thinner too. Uh Uh-huh. And again, like this is not an appropriate course of action if you are in an abusive relationship. So I'm, right. I'm assuming that we're not talking about that. No, you're right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But I think where this comes in is developing a sense of mutuality. Okay. So there's give and take. Yeah. And acknowledgement that we both contribute to the problem. And we both take responsibility for the problem. Yeah. And in a positive sense, you know, we both contribute to the loving moments in our marriage. And we both take responsibility for that too. Well, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. All right. So it really goes both ways. I think it's just kind of learning to pry ourselves away from needing to accommodate everything. Okay. And yeah. bringing ourselves to the more uncomfortable realities of, of sharing a problem with someone else. Yeah. And having to work through it. Yeah. I think we need to go back. Like if you are an abused spouse, mm-hmm. you do deserve respect. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so make what? a plan. Yeah. Execute it. Make sure you're safe. Yeah. Because you deserve that respect. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Let's go to the no blamer. Now, a better phrase for this is the super reasonable stance. I have trouble getting that word out of my my (laughs) mouth. The super reasonable stance. Virginia Satir, famous family therapist, she talked a lot about the super reasonable stance. Okay. And this is, you know, kind of drawing from a few different sources here, but it looks like the person who hides his or her feelings behind an aura of control or logic and fact-finding. So when you think okay. of super reasonable, I don't mean like super reasonable and that you're very reasonable to deal with. I mean, it's just like you have yourself positioned so you're so amazingly in control of everything that you're, you're unflappable to the extreme. Okay. I'm always reasonable. You know, feed me your emotionality, feed me your personal garbage for Linda and your overreactive nonsense and I'll deliver you back some good, calm, sterile facts. Here's what you need to know to solve your silly little problem. <laughs> right. So this is the super reasonable stance. Yeah, you're really good at that. That's me, thank you. <laughs> That's me caricaturizing it. There's another word I'm having kind of trouble with today. Now, it, you know, a way to think about this is it looks like, almost like a military stance. And I'm not saying that military people are all like this or that even more of them are. We really appreciate our military here. But it's just the idea that you have all feelings turned off from the neck down. 
You have a job to do. Get it done. Right. right? Yeah. And no matter what the level of emotionality your spouse throws at you, you are like a computer. It's just information. All you need to do is process it. Principle is everything. Keep stating the right things to do. Don't get distracted. Hmm. Here's, hmm. Why it, here's why it doesn't work. It impedes open, honest communication because the super reasonable person is fundamentally unwilling to be vulnerable. Okay. I'm insulating myself from my true feelings and I'm downplaying your feelings. That's okay. how I'm, I'm, I'm working this, right? Now, I've been a bit harsh on this person. If this is you and, and you're listening, hear me carefully now and don't rationalize this away, right? So you have the same core wound as the self-blamer, low self-esteem, low self-worth. You just learn to cover your messy and your painful emotions because you don't feel permitted to be yourself. Oh. Yeah. So often these folks have learned that they can feel safe at a distance and they rely on their intellect to keep themselves from feeling and from being vulnerable. That's a tough place to be in. Mm -hmm. Like I, I have compassion for, for being in this place, right? Mm -hmm. Because somewhere along the line, there was this really strong signal or messaging that you learned probably as a kid that says, can your feelings... Emotions are not okay. Yep. I don't want to see them. Okay. I'm really struggling here with the no blamer. Okay. Does it mean they won't take any blame? Yep. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. That was simple. <laughs> <laughs> Fix that one easy. That's why they paid me the big bucks. All right. And so the next time, you know, we find ourselves being factual or cutting our emotions off at the neck, we want to try um, actually just pausing the conversation and completely out of your comfort zone and say, I feel vulnerable. Wow. That would like floor your spouse. Totally. Like, eh, what did you just say something? Yeah. And because the reason why the super reasonable stance doesn't work is it doesn't let your spouse in to see the real you. And I know like if you're in this place, your spouse is probably attacking when you go into super reasonable mode, but they're attacking because they want inside, they want connection. Mm -hmm. Right. And didn't we just, do this, the distancer and pursuer and... It's kind of like that, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like that. And this is sort of a one model of that, right? And and I think the spouse, there's a really deep desire in the spouse of this no-blamer, this super reasonable person, uh -huh. to see the little wounded boy inside there mm -hmm. or the little wounded girl in there that you've been hiding behind all of your logic and your rationalizing and sticking with the facts. Because it's easier to embrace that little wounded yes. child. Yes. And than what's a computer? Hmm? Than a computer. Yeah, that's the thing. But but you think you have to protect it, right? That and wounded piece. Yeah. And it's such a paradigm shift to realize that when you bring this wounded little child out, that your spouse is not mad at him or her. Your spouse wants to hold him or her or her. Hmm. Right? And that's really powerful transformation that, that happens when we begin to let light in through the cracks of our armor, right? Because mm -hmm. it's like that spouse wasn't mad at the child, yeah. just afraid that they would never see right. him or her. Right. Always feel like they were never Distance. able to get there. Hmm. So how do we work with ourselves on this? You know, I think as soon as we're in a time of stress, this behavior comes out, right? If you're a no-blamer. Yeah. But even I think for all of us, for Linda, we do this to a little bit. But don't you think the self-blamer would just like degree. automatically go into... Yeah. Self-blame mode? Could. You know, more generally, right? Okay. Yep. You can see if I was coming at you about something, you might just try to hit me back with facts, right? Mm-hmm. Might. <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> yeah. If you think about this, though, there's, there's really two parts in here. 
One is like, this comes from an elevated sense of self. I'm lifting myself above your nonsense. But oh. that's because it's compensating for low self-worth. Okay. But also implicit in here is like this negative, untrustworthy sense of others. I have to protect my little boy from you because you, I can't trust you with him. You might hurt him. Oh. So I'm going to be really, really protective, right? And this, this derives itself from unmet needs for love and validation, mm-hmm. right? And the sad yet ironic part to this is that the coping stance prevents you from moving past the need for love and validation because you're not showing the lovable, validatable oh, part. Yeah, you're keeping that part hidden. Yeah. And when we fail to kind of release these self-defeating beliefs and the perceived criticisms from self or from others, you know, you don't move forward through this at all. So the way out of this is through this one, to give voice to the needs that we have and to find ways to soothe ourselves and accept even the soothing of a loving partner, a loving spouse through it. That make it, I'm kind okay. of summarizing. Like yeah, a, what does that look like? A strategic Give us a... shift here and something in a really few words. So, What does it look like? Can you give us an example of what this might look like? Well, it's starting to give voice to the little wounded child, if we're going to stick with that analogy. Okay, so how does what does that sound like? How That's, do you give voice that? What do you say? Instead of being super reasonable and blocking and cutting off it next, you're saying, well, I'm hurting right now. Okay. And maybe, you know, this is the start of things. I'm not sure why. I know I'm just hurting. Can you hold me? Huh. Instead of... Just analyzing solution. Yep. I'm hurt too. Hmm. Right? Okay. And then learning to soothe that, to stay with the hurt and not just cut it off. Let's go back to facts. To actually staying staying with that pain and be willing to sit in the discomfort of that and learning to soothe ourselves in that and then developing like a healthy core response to this instead of the unhealthy response that we've been doing, right? And So what's a healthy response? A healthy response is like naming your feelings like that and bringing them to someone who cares and loves and can step up to the plate on that as opposed to the unhealthy response of not bringing them out, of keeping them hidden behind the logic and facts. Okay. Right? So that's just one example of how we might come out. And that eventually starts to transform those stuck feelings that you never had a way out with. Mm -hmm. And I know this is like a whole bunch of therapy in a couple of sentences, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) that's kind of where it goes. Okay, but the goal here, Verlinda, is to allow ourselves to become a connected person, a connected person that can hold on to myself in close physical and emotional contact with my spouse and with other people in my life. It's back to differentiation. Yeah, connect, but hold yourself. Yes. Hmm. Okay, that's more deep stuff today. Yeah. You know, we all carry some of these features in our interactions with our spouse, Verlinda. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's times when I'm totally wanting to back into rationalizing and fact-finding rather than allowing myself to see and hear and feel your difficult emotions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. healthy differentiation is about being willing to allow you to experience that without going and hiding behind my own anxiety. So I need, yeah. to, I need to learn to be with you, but not be overwhelmed by you. That's not saying that you're overwhelming. It's just saying that I can get overwhelmed by strong emotions. Yeah. Right. So I think this is part of the the healthy adaptive shift that takes place. Because when I'm in that healthy place of being present but not overwhelmed, I'm actually like I'm ideally positioned to comfort you and be present with you because I'm holding on to myself. Feel my stuff. Yeah. Wow. So that's the self-blamer and the no-blamer. Indeed. Okay. That's all for today's episode. You can get the full show notes at oif.link slash 50. 
Remember, we're here to help build thriving, passionate marriages. So if this was helpful to you, we'd love it if you could help us spread the word and share this with others who would also be blessed by it. Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the OnlyYouForever.com podcast. Please help us reach and influence a wider audience by rating and reviewing our podcast at OnlyYouForever.com slash love. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.